Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 9. On the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, on the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage. O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, because I know that you're going to speak to us through it. I ask you, O oh Lord, that you will give me your thoughts to be my own, that as I share from it, O oh Lord, you will speak to us what we need to hear from you this morning. Open our spirits and our minds and our hearts to receive it, to apply it, and to ponder it. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So by a show of hands, how many of you still have one of those alarm clocks at home? Ah, there's quite a few that have them all. You know, I used to hate that thing. Because, first of all, it was loud. Second of all, no matter how many times you snoozed it, it was still coming back. It, it was like the Energizer Bunny. It kept going and going and going, and it didn't matter how many times you hit it. Fifteen minutes later, eh, 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 and it was loud and obnoxious. But we know that we need alarm clocks, right? I know for myself that it had, I had not had an alarm clock during my college years that would have never graduated. There was no way. It was with an alarm clock, and I still missed my 8 o'clock morning classes sometimes because I would hit the snooze button one time too many. You see, we have schedules to keep, things to do, places to be, and alarms help us to manage our time, to get going on our day, and to keep up with the schedules that we have set for ourselves. However, when that alarm goes off in the morning, 
the first thought that comes to our mind when we hear it is, how do I shut it off? How do I get it to quit? How do I ignore it? I found that if I put the alarm clock next to my bed, it was ineffective because it was too easy to hit the snooze button. So I ended up having to put it across the room where I would physically have to get out of bed to hit the snooze button so that by the time I got back to bed, it had been several steps one way, several steps the other, and I was alert enough to go, yeah, I guess I need to get up. We don't like alarm clocks, but we know we need them. I think that's the same with Old Testament prophets. The people didn't want them. The people didn't like them, but they certainly needed them. You see, they signaled the times and the seasons for God's people to do things that God wanted them to do. They signaled the times and the seasons when the people were off track or on track and needed to receive a word of encouragement from the Lord. Whenever the people got lazy or simply didn't want to obey God, God would raise up a prophet to come and sound the alarm, to remind the people, hey, 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 what are you doing? Remember what the Lord your God told you to do. God's agenda is usually different than our agenda. And that was true in Old Testament times. God had told the people of Israel to continue to be faithful in the land that he had given them. But as we know, once they entered the promised land, once they received the blessings of God, they began to depart from God's ways. Our scripture today tells us about prophet Haggai. He was sent by the Lord to speak to Serubabel. There's a name for your great-grandchildren. <coughs> Excuse me. He was the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, who was the high priest, and to the remnant of the people during a very difficult time. This was written during a time in which the people of Israel had returned to the promised land for be, from being in exile in Babylon for 70 years. They had been away in Babylon because of their disobedience to God. God had allowed them to be taken into exile. And when they were taken into exile, the land was left in disarray because there was nobody to tend it. The people that were left behind were the, the cripple and the elderly and the children and the people that couldn't do any work. And so what was left in the promised land were people that weren't able to maintain and keep up with everything that was left. The temple was destroyed. There was actually three waves of captivity. People don't realize that for the Babylonian exile. Babylonians took the first wave of of Israelites out of the, the land in 605 before Christ. But then they took another group in 597 and yet another group in 587. So for all these periods of time, they were taking and extracting the strongest, the youngest, the more able people out of the land 
and bringing them to Babylon into exile. The exile was to last 70 years. And we know from the book of Daniel that when he prayed, he asked God to please make it based on that first date of exile. He's like, Lord, 70 years, but let's count from the first exile date. We don't want to make it any longer than we need to. And God had mercy on them because he did use that first date to mark 70 years before they returned. But when they returned to the land, when they were finally given permission to return to Jerusalem, they found everything in ruins. The best way I can put it is imagine you leave your home to go on a trip and come back and a natural disaster has happened. Tornado, hurricane, tsunami, you pick one. And your house is no more. All there is is rubble. And everything you owned is gone. And everything you had has been wiped away. This is kind of how it was for them. For 70 years, they were away. So you can imagine that people that used to own land and used to live in a particular place might not have it anymore. The, the, their parking spot was taken by somebody else. Somebody else moved in. Sometimes it was family members. Sometimes it could have been somebody else. But basically what they had was completely gone. They came back to the land and they found that the temple was completely destroyed by the Babylonians. They even took all of the ceremonial things of the temple and took them with them. And when they were allowed to return, that was one of the greatest miracles that they were sent back with some of those things. That the Persians actually decreed that they could bring all that stuff back to, to reestablish the temple. But when they got there, it was so discouraging. For two years, they laid the foundation of the temple. And you have to remember, they just came from exile. They have nothing at home. And they're trying to lay the foundations of the temple. And it's taken them two years, two years, to lay the foundation. We're just talking about not even the floor, the, 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 the stuff that's going to hold the floor and is going to hold the walls and is going to hold everything else. They're just laying the foundation for two years. And they're doing it with very few people. We know from historical records that hundreds of thousands of Israelites were taken into captivity. Do you know how many returned? Barely 50,000. So the workforce was limited. They had very few people, very few resources. And after two years, they were beyond discouraged. They were so discouraged. And Haggai is sent to them to, to speak to them about this. He actually writes 18 years later from those, two, uh, 16 years later from those two years. So after two years, they just quit, quit building the temple. They laid the foundation, they set up the altar so they could do sacrifices. 
And they, they basically decided to just make do because they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the manpower, they didn't have the motivation to rebuild the temple. And 16 years later, Haggai is sent to them, and Haggai reminds them, some of you remember the former glory of this house. Some of you were around when this temple was standing. Remember, it's been 70 years, so for some of those, a generation has passed. Some of those have gone on to glory. But there are still some that remember the former glory of the temple. And he asked them a question. He said, looks terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> looks like nothing, doesn't it? Compared to what you had, it looks like you've lost everything. It looks like the best days are behind us. Because we'll never match the glory of that temple that Solomon built. Remember, it was built at the height of the Jewish nation. They had all kinds of resources, all kinds of manpower to be able to put it together. And now they had nothing. You know, we tend to look back at the past and glamorize the past and look at the good old days. How many have heard of the good old days? Good old days are never in the future. They're always where? In the past. And somehow they're always better. They're always bigger. They're, you know, everything's, it's like Texas. Everything's bigger in the past. Everything is, is more glorious in the past. And so as they're remembering that old temple that used to be, they're mourning what they have lost. They're mourning what they don't have. They're feeling sorry for themselves because when they returned, things were not what they expected. You know, we can relate to that somewhat. You and I haven't been exiled, but we were pretty much exiled to our homes for two years with COVID. And we returned from the pandemic hoping to go back to normal life. Hoping things would get back to normal, to be like they used to be. We romanticize that past and go, oh, if we could just go back to, and you fill in the blank. And we have this vision of what we had and what we've lost and the mourning of that which is no more. And we experience that same grief that they experienced of thinking, we'll never get back to that. We can't do that anymore. We've been in exile. And exile has changed us. When the Israelites returned to the land, that's exactly how they felt. You see, not only was everything different around them, but everything was different inside of them. They felt like things had changed. They literally were mourning the passing of some that didn't return with them. And we can relate to that too because there are people that have not returned to church. People that used to be here that are no longer here. We even mourn and remember today those who have gone to glory. And we miss them. I was telling the 9 o'clock service how I could look out and I could still see John Upchurch and Martha Perkle sitting in that service in their traditional spots. 
and we mourn the loss. So we can relate to the way the Israelites must have been feeling upon their return, hoping that things will go back to normal, but discovering that it was easier said than done, understanding that things couldn't be exactly how they were. And Haggai basically comes to them and says, don't you feel like you've lost everything? Don't you feel that you have nothing left? And with this feeling of great discouragement, and I bet you some of them were depressed, even though they didn't use those terms back then. Haggai comes to them, not with a word to tear them up, but a word to bring them courage from the Lord. He tells them, I have come with a word of the Lord because I want you to take courage in the promises that God has made you. I want you to take courage in the fact that God is still with you. You see, when we get idle and we're not doing what we need to do, God sends people to us to remind us that we are not to be idle, that we are to be working for his kingdom, that we still have things that need to be accomplished in our lives, that there are things that God still wants us to do. And so Haggai comes and he says, I've come to remind you that you have promises from the Lord. He made them to your ancestors when they came from Egypt, when he delivered them from Egypt. He made them to Abraham for all his descendants. And those promises of God are still faithful and true. But how hard it is to believe that when you can't see it. When everywhere you look, everything is in shambles. Hagar was reminding them that it was time to get back to work, that it was time to get back to rebuilding the temple, that it was time to get back to their faith, that it was time to explore again their relationship with God. And he says, and God says, his spirit abides with you and you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be scared. They were looking at all of the enemies that surrounded Israel, and they were going, we have no way to defend ourselves if these people attack right now. If they decided to come take us, they would. We have no way to do any of these things. And yet Haggai comes with a word that we don't need to be afraid because God is on our side. You know, sometimes we just forget how great God is and how little our problems and our enemies are. You're talking about the God who fed the Israelites in the wilderness with bread from heaven. You're talking about the one who split the sea open so that they could flee Egypt and captivity. You're talking about a God who gave himself by sending Jesus to die on a cross for us. And then we think that there's something that he can't do that there's something that is impossible for him. He said, the pity party's over. It's time to get back to work. And if you read in the earlier chapter of Haggai, you discover what the people had done. You know what they did? They built the temple foundations for the first two years, and then when they got discouraged about that and they couldn't get the resources to do that, they went home and started remodeling and rebuilding their homes and putting all their resources and all their time into that. For 16 years, they did that. And by the time Hagar comes around, they don't have one house, they have a 
city house and a country house. They have a farm. They have all these things that they have built up over the last 16 years. And when they look at the temple, there's only a foundation and an altar table. And God was basically saying, what about my house? When are you going to come around to that? When are you going to come back to that? God knew that it wasn't easy, though. He knew that they didn't have the resources. He knew they didn't have the motivation. He knew they didn't have the courage. And that's exactly why he raised up Haggai, because he wanted them to know that he was still with them. You know, God has never said things are going to be easy. I always get mad at all these preachers that say that if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be easy. You're never going to have any problem. You're not, you're not going to get sick. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. And that's not, what, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what God promised. God promised the people of Israel that if they would be his people, he would be their God, that they would never be alone, that he would always provide, that he would be for them and not against them, and that he would bless the nations through them. But he never said it's going to be easy. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to be reminded of that. He has overcome the world. After two years of discouragement and reaching that level and then going home and rebuilding their homes for 16 years, Haggai says, it's time. It's time to get back to work. It's time to receive God's call afresh in your lives. It's time to go back to our faith. It's time to declare to the other nations that our God is real and powerful and mighty. God has called us to rebuild his temple, whether that is the physical building or the church membership. You read into it what you want. God has called us to build his kingdom here on earth. And whenever we try to put excuses for not doing it, he will lift up prophets to remind us that he has called us to do this. The people had made excuses and reasons not to do it. They said, we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower, we don't have the time. Does that sound familiar as excuses for not doing anything? We, we never say that nowadays, you know, but apparently that was the reason for not doing what God had called them to do. And then Haggai brings the word from the Lord when he lets them know, look, I'm going to shake the nations so that all the treasure of all nations shall come and will fill this house with splendor. He says, not only that, I'm going to make the splendor better than the former splendor. I'm going to make it better than it was to begin with. I'm going to make your good old days to be ahead of you and not behind you because I have promised for you into the future. If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. That God has the best days of us ahead of us and not behind us. 
that God still has more to give than what we have received and that God will even make others pay for what we need to do. I, I like that idea. That's pretty cool. That God will shake the nations and their treasure will pay for the rebuilding of the temple. And then the Lord reminds them, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, it's all mine. Not only that, the splendors is going to be great. You won't be able to believe it, but it's going to be great. When we look at these promises of God to the people of Israel, it just has to make us wonder how they took it, how they received it. Because in the natural, all they saw around them was no signs of any of this coming true. When they looked around, they didn't see any evidence of the other nations anteing up to rebuild the temple. They didn't see any signs of God's promises becoming true in terms of them coming together and being splendorous again. But God wanted them to remember that he was faithful to his promises and that he was coming through Haggai to bring them courage to put their hand to the plow to get to work, to get to doing what he was calling them to do. And he was letting them know, there's not a need that you have that I have not anticipated. There's not a need that you have that I don't know about. There's not something that you're going to face in the future where I am not already there. And to me, that's as encouraging as it can get to know that the God of my past and the God of my present is already in my future. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher that believes that just because you're a Christian, you're going to be rich. I want to be clear on that. I know, I know everybody's buying lottery tickets, trying to get rich all of a sudden. But I do believe that when we take care of God's house, God takes care of our house. I believe that when we put the kingdom of God first, all other things are added on. I believe that when we believe the promises of God, and then we see their fulfillment in our lives. I believe that when we pursue righteousness and justice and mercy, following the example of Jesus, we see miracles happen. Not because we're so great, but because he is faithful. The people didn't deserve any of this. They really didn't. They went to work on their house and remodel and panel their house, and the Lord's house was in shambles. And yet God wanted a relationship with them so badly that he says, just get to work, and I'm going to provide what is needed. I got to tell you that this word spoke deeply to me this week. It reminded me that God doesn't call us to go backwards, but always to go forwards. That we only look at the past to celebrate what God has already done, looking into the future at what he's going to do next. And that we only look at the past to propel us into the future that God has prepared for us. God is always faithful. He is always trustworthy. And there's nothing that is impossible for God. 
So if God sends the prophet to sound the alarm, do not hit snooze. Do not pass go. Pay attention to the call. Because it's so easy for us to get distracted with our own homes and our own things and our own priorities and to forget the call of God to go out into all the nations and tell them about Jesus Christ. God continues to be faithful to his call and his promises to this church and to its members and to the people of this community through it have not changed. They're still the same. They're not the same because we're the same. They're the same because the God we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May God help us to continue to be faithful in responding to the call to build his kingdom here on earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, for the prophets that risking life and, and welfare went out to tell the people the messages that you gave them, O oh Lord. Sometimes the messages were stern and hard, and sometimes they were just words to encourage them to pick the right path and to do the right things. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to heed your call to build your kingdom here on earth, that as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we will make your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, O oh Lord, that any time that fear or doubt tries to creep in, we will remember the God that we serve who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that there's nothing impossible for you, and that with you all things can be accomplished. Help us to remember that we don't walk this way alone, but that we go with you, with your Holy Spirit abiding with us and with your promises sustaining us. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to open the altar, but I want to open the altar for us to pray for our church as we look to next week to take this uh, straw poll and as we continue to make decisions for our church. I just want to have a time for each person to just have some time at the altar if you want it um, as you pray for the ministry of this church and the future of God in us.